Hello, and welcome to RD and the Inbetweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of RD and the Inbetweens. I'm coming to you from a enormous two-week break from work, so I took a couple of weeks of annual leave, and inspired by that, I wanted to do a second podcast episode about taking a break. So you might remember I spoke to one of our PGRs, Ellie Hassan, before Christmas about taking a break, and she talked about the kind of really practical way she approaches her research degree as a job and kind of doesn't feel guilty for taking those breaks. So I thought it might be good to come at it from the other side of the coin. So I'm talking once again to a regular contributor, I think we call him now, Edward Mills, who is now Dr. Edward Mills, officially, about being the kind of people that aren't very good at taking breaks, who regularly experience burnout, how we manage that, and also kind of what strategies we have in place, and particularly kind of hobbies and activities we engage in to help us basically, and force us to take those much, much needed breaks. Okay, so let's start with the kind of the million dollar question, is, which is, why do you find it so difficult to take a break? I suppose it's just kind of the way I am, really, uh, at the risk of sounding a little bit like I'm sitting on a psychiatrist's couch here. <laughs> uh, it's, it's sort of just the way I've always been. I don't, I don't quite know why, but I know what that means in a practical sense for me it means that I'm always thinking about work in one way or another um, and it's quite difficult to train my brain out of that yeah and I I can relate to that in a lot of ways but I think in a different I do know why I'm like that and I think that's probably because of the job that I'm in in that you know it, it's it's my job to understand these kind of cultures of work and I think there's an anxiety element to it. There's a perfectionism element to it, significant perfectionism element that kind of keeps you feeling like you you must keep working. And I think being the product of a very particular kind of school system that, um, you know, I went to an old-fashioned grammar school and it was very much kind of like you work constantly um, rather than thinking about kind of quality over quantity necessarily. One thing to add on that front, actually, I think... Very often when you hear people say, oh, I, I can't stop working, or I'm always working, I find it hard to relax. That tends to be seen as something of a humble brag. It's not, though. It's not, though. No, this is the it's thing. It's really bad. Certainly, certainly in my case, it's not. I actually think that in many ways what I do is worse because of this. This is a, It can be something of a problem. Um, when I'm saying, oh, if I'm saying, oh, I'm always thinking about work, that doesn't mean that I'm always working. No. What it actually means is that I'm always running on about 30% capacity, even when I should be running on 100%. I'm just running on 30% when I should also be running on 0%. What is it that that phrase that you said that your dad uses to describe you? You're either flat flat out or... Yeah, my my dad, uh, hi dad, had a phrase um, that he used to describe me, which is I have two speeds. I'm either flat out, as in going flat out or flat out as in flat out on the floor which pretty much sums me up I think and it sums up a lot <laughs> of people who do 
who do PhDs, although by no means by no means everybody, nor is it an ideal to aim towards. No, but it it, it is a common experience, and I've, I've as you know written a bit about this in a chapter that's coming out, kind of about the culture of overwork and imposter syndrome and the way that that feeds into this kind of really complex and toxic culture of kind of we'll just sit in front of a computer and work 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 but also you know the the challenge when you're so invested in the work that you do because you have to be to motivate yourself to to do research it's difficult to leave that behind and I think I'm apart from the fact that I've kind of it's my job and it's now my research to reflect on these things I think you know having been an academic and I, I always say that I was a very successful academic, um, but I was also very unsuccessful at being an academic in the sense that, you know, I got good module evaluations. I presented my work at conferences. I got publications. I brought in research funding, did all of the ticked all of the boxes you got to tick. But I burnt myself out. I did it twice in the space of five years um, in very different ways, very different reasons. But overwork is a is at the heart of it and not being able to really manage a work-life balance and that's why I stopped being an academic I learned that actually I wasn't very good at putting those boundaries in place and that's why you know and I've taught I talk about it a lot that's why I went into professional services because it's it's more nine to five it's encourages work-life balance more and given the kind of person that I am it's better for me to manage. And I suspect that this will come out in the discussion that we have today. But um, one of the things to bear in mind when we talk about what I do to 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 relax and how I do that is the fact that I I don't have young children yeah. uh, or really all that many caring responsibilities. If you want a good example of um, how diverse people's experiences of engagement with academia are. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, those of you who are on Twitter will probably have seen the response recently to an academic who, who tweeted a piece of advice on how they have had 75 published pieces since 2008, I think it was. Um, and the responses to that are very interesting because they, they highlight how many people are juggling academia with caring responsibilities, with families, with other jobs, uh, with independent research, with other work. And... That's not something that I myself have necessarily got much experience in doing. No, and it is very much that really old-fashioned now mantra of publish or perish within the academy. And it, you know, it links into those things about metrics and outputs and the way that we kind of, that we value the outcomes of research in terms of the REF and the way that we value teaching in the, in the TEF and now the KEF has launched. So we've got all of the Fs. And I think that, that the really important thing there is... Well, there's two really important things. One is that this is the culture of higher education. And so to to kind of go against that and take breaks and have a work-life balance and practice self-care, all of those things are a kind of quite a complex, difficult and brave act um, because you're going against the system, essentially. So I often do this, um, I do a career talk, It's kind of, I call it an alternative career talk because it kind of maps my career path or my kind of personal career story. 
and it's I very good. <laughs> yeah, lots of people have seen it lots of times. It gets, I, it's, it's the classic kind of will will Kelly out to talk about this, but it, it's it, it's a reflection on why I stopped being an academic in a lot of ways, and I talk about my life when I was an academic and the fact that I was working seven days a week on a four day a week contract and I was working, uh, you know, eight o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock at night, and I was completely burnt out and I had literally no life. I had no. Um, you know, I lived away from my family. I moved to a new place. I wasn't able to make friends because I was working all the time. And um, the kind of really negative space that got me into. And what I've got now, and one of the things that I talk about now is kind of, you know, the fact that I enjoy my job and I'm good at what I do, but also that I have these miraculous things called hobbies and interests that I just was not able to have um, when I was when I was an academic. And I'm not, I, I always sort of state, I'm not suggesting that you can't do these things as an academic. I'm saying that I couldn't do these things as an academic. It's very personal. And I think in many ways you should do these things as an academic. You absolutely should. I just wasn't very, and I know lots of people who, who managed to do it. I'm not very good at it. And it's one of those difficult kind of reflections where you go actually... I'm really good at this thing, you know, being an academic and there's things about it I love, but actually it and I aren't really suited for each other um, in lots of different ways. And I just wasn't very good at managing that. But now, as I said, I work in an environment that's more nine to five. So I have that, you know, I have that privilege, I guess. And it's it's much more encouraged, but I am much more having burnt out so significantly a couple of times I am more diligent with myself in a recognizing the signs but also be kind of engaging in hobbies and practicing self-care and if you follow me on Twitter you'll know that I talk about this non-stop and I've got a book chapter coming out about it so it's 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 become a thing um to talk about but to talk honestly about and and sometimes that's saying you know I'm, I'm not very good at it but so thinking about that and we can talk about some of mine in a minute but like what are your what are your hobbies what are your what are the things that you do to take you away from the research to force you into a break you know if we change languages here this would basically be a gcse french speaking exam (laughs) always the linguist sorry everybody literally um no sorry to actually answer the question there's a few i think and they they fall into a couple of different categories the general thing that connects them is organised fun. Mm-hmm. And in the... I love organised fun. I know. In the in the, my research for this, I actually went up and look, looked up the phrase organised fun. Favourite definition for it comes from the ever-reliable and ever-well-sourced Urban Dictionary, which yes. describes it as um, compulsory activity organised through work, intended to be fun, but in fact so lame that it's impossible to actually enjoy yourself. <laughs> Or words to that effect. They, they, they don't know me. I disagree with that as well. Um, I've tended to find that because I am generally just not very good at sitting with my feet up and doing nothing, mm. I tend to gravitate towards activities 
that have a measurable goal or outcome to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so long-time listeners to this podcast will remember <laughs> uh, that a few months ago I talked about the benefits of going very fast down a hill on a bike. Mm-hmm. I can now confirm I'm actually going slightly slower down the hills on bikes than I was, and certainly a lot slower going up the hills on bikes compared <laughs> to what I was before. But um, with the resumption of... Uh, organized sports activities I've got back into cycling with other people again Mm. which is really fun Uh, it combines um, the social benefits of seeing other people with not having to just sit and argue where will we go next because you're constantly moving which is always a benefit Um, also cafe stops because cafes are good Mm -hmm. if exercise is one of the things that I do though I think um, the trend towards organized fun something that i kind of carry through elsewhere as well so one one um subject that i have not spoken about before on this podcast is scale modeling uh this is something i have got into lately it is quite possibly the geekiest hobby i've ever had and that's saying something yeah but it effectively involves making scale models out of little kits nice Uh, so there's a shelf next to uh next to the desk that i use which is basically full of little models of aircraft um in terms of time investment versus money spent (laughs) they're actually pretty good uh because for 10 pounds you can get about four or five hours of building uh, out of it effectively you can do it well or you can do it like i do which is badly but however you do it what a hobby like scale modelling, or I think in your case, uh, is it Lego? Yes, it's Lego. Would do <laughs> is it will. It's a bit difficult to do Lego badly, though. I, I think I would manage, um, <laughs> but whatever the hobby is and however you do it, the benefit of a of a hobby like that is that it forces you to spend time away from a screen. Mm-hmm. And this is something I think I spoke about on the podcast about lighting up a few mm-hmm. months back. Um, but getting away from the screen while still doing something yeah. is the main way, really, in which I relax. And I think that, like, you know, you brought up the Lego, and I think it's a key example for me. It, You know, it's it's very much the same. It has to be organised, kind of goal-oriented. I like following instructions. I'm just that kind of person. And so doing things like building a Diagon Alley out of Lego or um, you know the other thing I do with a lot of my time which is sewing or various forms of crafting I do crochet I do embroidery I do cross stitch any any of the crafting I like the productiveness of it I feel like it I think there's that inbuilt thing of feeling not feeling like I'm wasting time like I'm getting there's there's a physical output to it so it's going back to that kind of output mentality you know there's a dress or a jacket or a shawl or a, a jumper that says I just need some space surrounded by planets that's something I'm currently working on but I like the idea of the airfix excellence framework just to go with the research excellence <laughs> the framework. lego excellence framework the left yeah the left um but all of yeah all of these things kind of are very instructions oriented but you, you you kind of create something out of it and even with the lego you know I've got um I'm looking at various bits of hogwarts that are on the kind of to the left of me and then diagon alley is in the hallway um, of all Hogwarts places. to the left of me, diagonally to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> but it's, you know, 
there's there's that sense of output but I think for me coming from a creative background there's a creativity element to it particularly to the crafting and the sewing you know that there is that element that you know is in my personality but also there's an awful lot of research about the impact of creativity and creative activities on well-being and on kind of personal identity and um self kind of realization naturalization all those sorts of stuff which is why creative practices are used in therapeutic context right absolutely and if i can go off on a slight tangent here Mm -hmm. with respect to some of the research that i've done um there's a lot of evidence that in creative writing one of the most effective ways to do this and to get outputs to use that terminology again is to work under constraints the uh the movement in uh, post-war France wrote about this idea of the littérature uh, contrainte, constrained literature, uh, whereby in order to motivate yourself and to stimulate yourself, you give yourself limits within which to work. The most famous example of this is, is Georges Perec, who uh, published an entire novel that doesn't use the letter E once. Yes. And I think this uh, feeds into the idea of harnessing your personality. Mm-hmm. rather than trying to fight against it. If you are a yeah. working person, by which I mean if you're someone who struggles to... Switch off. Switch off, thank you. So struggles to switch off, and again, hasten to add, that can often be a very bad thing. It's a very, oh, it's a very bad thing. The best way to relax, therefore, is to acknowledge that and give yourself something else to do rather than to try and say, no, now I am going to relax. The important thing in that case is that you do give yourself things to do. Otherwise, when you're on your day off, you will find yourself itching just to maybe reply to that one email in order to feel like you've not wasted your day. Yeah, and and I think that is kind of, that's an element of it because the days where I don't do very much, and like, you know, I've just come back from some annual leave and actually I was incredibly tired because we've been working madly since January and there's a global pandemic and you know all of these things um and so I did a lot a lot of sleeping and a lot of resting and I didn't actually get to do any any sewing or any of my kind of hobby type stuff until the end of last week and I was really frustrated I was like but I've wasted I've wasted I've wasted the time because the idea that you don't have an output to your time is is really difficult for me um, and so I think what you're saying about harnessing your personality and finding it's, you know, it's the stuff that I talk about in terms of self-care. It's finding what works for you as a person, because it will be incredibly specific. And hobbies always are incredibly specific. And, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, I I tend to be kind of instructions oriented. But during the pandemic, I, um, I finally committed to taking up the ukulele. I'd had one for a couple of years, but I hadn't, I'd sort of mucked around with it, but I hadn't really learnt. But my neighbour two doors down is a ukulele teacher, so we could have outside lessons and it all seemed perfect. And kind of, that's been quite a different, it's creative still, but it's been quite a different thing for me because it doesn't have the end product and goal in quite the same way. So, but, you know, I find that once I get practising and playing stuff and kind of singing along to my kind of favourite songs, which tend to be either kind of, 90s pop or the Beatles I don't really have a very diverse uh, taste in music then you know that I find that so soothing and so relaxing um and that's been quite a 
different thing for me because like it's not that kind of goal oriented and also it's something it's something you can do badly my version of and that you have to, I have to accept that which I'm not very good at as a perfectionist I'm not very good at not immediately being very good at something that's been a really tough lesson to learn weirdly my version of that my kind of slightly less constrained mm. but still creative blurring the boundaries between doing nothing and having a rigid set of instructions practice mm. is also musical uh, it is making arrangements of entirely inappropriate songs for brass band for <laughs> brass band. Yes. Uh, shout out to Exeter Railway Band. Uh, look us up. We have a website and a Twitter page as well. Uh, so I've been trying to arrange pop songs, uh, Venga Boys medleys, mm. uh, songs from Frozen for brass band. Uh, I which couldn't imagine anything better than um, songs for Frozen on brass band. No, it is a step into the unknown, though. You have got to be careful. <laughs> Niche Frozen 2 joke. Um, and I think the harnessing of personality thing, obviously, is is central to this. But also, I, like a lot of people, really struggled with this kind of thing when the pandemic started. So the pandemic started and, you know, my concept of work-life balance and and everything really went out the window. And I had to manage my working day in a very different way because it, you know my working life and my home life are now very much integrated um and and so I had to recalibrate a lot of that and I actually found myself you know and, and in part due to kind of the fatigue that we all experienced as kind of part of lockdowns and everything finding it really difficult to do these things so actually I um I tried to make them into habits so I have I this is I mean, this is a revelation into my personality. I have reminders on my phone of like chores and tasks that I need to do every day. Um, and I added things like read a chapter of a book or, you know, sew like one seam or one step um, in a garment to just try and push myself to do those things. And some days, you know, all that I could cope with mentally and physically, was to read that one chapter and to say that one scene. But of course, more often than not, you start and it spirals. Um, and I found that really helpful as a way to kind of, I don't do it anymore, I don't have those reminders because I've got back into it, but it's it was a real kind of way to kickstart me back into. And again, it's harnessing my personality, isn't it? I'm a list maker. I like to tick things off. I don't like having red dots on my phone. So having it in that way and, and utilising those kind of lists and reminders was a way to get me back into doing it. Yeah, kind of like like coaching a football team made of herbs. A lot of it comes down to time management. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, thank you very much. But if I were in that situation, I would also put things like do an airfix model or yeah. go for a bike ride on my list. I certainly do put them mm. into my diary, in my planner, yeah. because that's an important part of making sure that those are treated as part of your day-to-day -day life and thereby ingraining that sort of time off that is might be better described as time doing other stuff yeah. into your routine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, it's... So I guess to to end on, we've talked about kind of how we force ourselves to take breaks and the hobbies and the interests that we have. 
and about the importance of kind of harnessing your personality and make it work to you. So I guess if somebody's out there and they're thinking, okay, but I, I don't know, you know, how do I find that Harry Potter Lego sets are my thing or sewing or arranging Venga Boys for Brass Band? Like, how 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 have you gone on that journey to kind of find those those things that work for you? That's a difficult one to answer, particularly uh, given that as that time of recording, uh, opportunities for discovering these kinds of things are a little bit more limited yeah, than they yeah. were. So, I mean, I wouldn't have discovered my interest in arranging for brass band had I not been in a brass band already. I wouldn't have discovered my interest in scale modelling had I not been able to one day be walking through a garden centre, see some airfix <laughs> and think, ooh, I might have a go at this. Um, but my general advice, as, as banal as it might be, would be to explore a bit. Yeah. Uh, Look at what, think about what kinds of things you like to do, uh, rather than approaching it in terms of, oh, I wouldn't like to do this, or oh, I would like to do this. Think about what you value in mm. an activity, and take it from there, really. Yeah, and I think for me, actually, this is an interesting kind of point of reflection, which is that the things that I've come back to are the things that I was interested in as a child, and as a teenager, that really dropped off when, you know, if you're, if you're an, you know, a dancer or an actor or a performer, or, you know, I did all of those things. You kind of end up dedicating all of your time to it, and and then I became an academic, and I dedicated all of my time to that. And so I went back to those things that I really loved as a child, and one of those was building Lego. One of those was crafting. It wasn't sewing. It was actually doing cross stitch. I was like an eighty year old lady in an eight year old body, um, but reading. And, you know, all of those things, they're actually things that I really loved when I was younger. And I've, I've rediscovered them um, as an adult, which brings me an awful lot of joy. It helps me maintain a work-life balance and it um, maintains my status as, to quote my, um, my nephew, the coolest aunt in the world. Because everybody, every 11-year-old boy wants an aunt with an extensive Harry Potter Lego collection. <laughs> <laughs> I think the activities that you you might enjoy now and the activities you enjoyed when you were younger might take on different forms. Yeah, for um, sure. It's worth noting, you know, that um, if you enjoyed playing with Lego as a child, you might not enjoy playing with Lego as an adult, although you probably would. Uh, it might be that that sort of construction idea and that, that the idea of building things and following instructions yeah. might be the thing to look for rather than necessarily sticking rigidly to Lego. But yeah, it's, I think it's exploring and thinking about those interests that you've had and, like you said, the things that you value and the things that you've always enjoyed and trying to kind of follow follow that path. Oh, absolutely, really. yeah. I think that's absolutely it. Thanks so much to Edward for joining me for this week's episode. And yeah, go out and find those things that interest you and excite you. And please, 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 if you get the opportunity, do try and build Lego as an adult you will be really surprised at how much you still enjoy it. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development and everything in between.